Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to part three of our series, The Birds and the Bees. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. If you don't mind standing for a moment longer, we are in a series right now called The Birds and the Bees. Come on, anyone hear any parts of this series so far? So if you've been with us in this series, you're probably going to know where we're going to get started. Uh, Don't worry, I'll fill us all in. But we are once again and still in the book of Genesis. So Genesis chapter 2, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man. He said, you are free. Someone say free. Free. You are free to eat. Let's go. I love that. From any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Welcome to church. Genesis chapter 3. We're skipping ahead. Verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Okay, so if you've been with us, every single week we've been answering big questions. We haven't really had titles, we've had questions. So if you guys remember week one, who am I? Week two, why am I here? Get rid of the slide for a second. Go back for a second. Spoiler alert. Even though you might have seen it, do what I'm about to tell you anyways. If you got a notebook, take out your notebook. If you got a phone, take out your phone. If you don't got a phone, I don't know what planet you're living on. So take out your phone. Come on, I see you. I can see you not taking it out. Take out your phone. Open up your notes app. Some of you guys, if your notes app is empty, that means your life is empty. So (laughs) open up the notes app. And here's question number three for all of our notes that we're going to take today. Question number three, you may have seen it, is what went wrong? What went wrong? wrong. Come on, you guys can put your hands together and you can find your seat uh, this morning in this place. Thank you so much once again, worship team, uh, for leading us. So glad you guys could be here, every person uh, online, in the building. Love you guys. Uh, Pumped that you could be here. So if if we have not yet had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Harrison and uh, I just had the honor of being the lead pastor here along with my wife, Christy. And one thing I say every week is that I get a lead alongside my wife, Christy, um, but you don't always see her up here. Next week, and you guys have your notepad out so you can put this in there in case you're gonna forget. Next week, my wife is gonna be up here. We're gonna do this together. So it's gonna be real good. We're gonna talk all about gender, male and female. It's gonna be great stuff. So that's week four. We're in week three of a series called The Birds and the Bees. So I say this, and I'm going to say it every week in this series. Out of anything that I've ever preached, I really try to, like, make every sermon brand new. So, like, if you miss the last, you're fine. I can't possibly do that in this series. You're going to be okay if you missed last week. You're not going to be lost, I promise. However, if you missed part one, if you missed part two, you've got to check them out online. Because I'm building basically a pyramid. 
And so every block is just getting us to the tip. And so if you missed the base, it might be kind of confusing. So if you missed part one and two, go check it out online, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your content, our website, go check it out. Can you guys do that? If you missed it, if you haven't missed it, amazing. So birds and the bees, talking about creation, sex, and relationships. Now, the first two weeks, if you've been here, you will know we were a little bit light on sex and relationships. So you're probably thinking like, when do we get into that? Uh, answer, a little bit today, but not so much. Because what we are doing is we are talking a whole lot about creation. Creation is the base of this series. Because we have said this, if we don't know where we came from, we will struggle to know who we are. And a lot of us were just like, hey, give me sex, give me relationships, give me the advice, give me the podcast, whatever. But we have no clue who we are as people. And if we don't know who we are as people, we will struggle to really, uh, I think, have healthy relationships, um, romantic or otherwise. And so, as I said, the first two weeks, we talked about who am I? Ultimately, who am I? We talked about, am I a tool to be used or a child that is loved? Last week, why am I here? And today, as we saw, we are talking about what went wrong. What went wrong? Now, if you have been with us for this series, the first two weeks, just actually make some noise. If you heard the first two weeks of the series. Okay, cool. Amazing. I'd love to see it. Uh, if you're brand new, love you. So glad you could be here. Um, so first two weeks, if you were there, you will know that when we talk about like who we are and, and why we're here, a lot of it was like very utopian, right? Like, oh man, like you're good. You're a child of God. You're beautiful. Everything God created is good. And like all this good stuff, right? And I know for some people that are in the place, you kind of were a little bit of a skeptical Sam. Meaning like, I, I hear it. I hear all this lovely language about how everything is good, yada, yada, yada. But to be honest, I don't always feel that. I don't always see that. You're talking about good and, and child of God and you're beautiful and you have value. But sometimes I just feel worthless. And sometimes I look at the world around me and it doesn't seem good. It doesn't seem fair. And so some people might have been sitting there the first couple of weeks and saying, Harrison, what you're saying doesn't line up with reality. Um, and that's why, like, to be honest, I've always kind of been skeptical about the Bible because like you Christians, you live in your Sunday world and you talk to your daddy God and you don't live in reality with the rest of us. Because I don't see this beautiful world. So skeptical Sam, I hear you. The good news is, so does scripture. And the Bible does not try to paint a utopian picture that is distant or different from the reality that we live in. But Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 do. And that's kind of what we studied the first couple of weeks. Today, as we shift into chapter 3, we are going to figure out, okay, what went wrong? Why does this world look the way it looks? Why is there hurting? Why is there heartbreak? Why is there suffering? Um, and for some of us, why is my life a mess right now? So that is what we're going to do today. Answer the question, the third question in this series, what went wrong? Can we do it? Okay, so we are literally picking up exactly where we left off last week. So here's the recap that I can give you. Again, if you missed it, go check it out. Why are we here? We said... We are here for three reasons. Number one, we are here to be in relationship with God. Remember this? Number two, we are here to be in relationship with people, with others. And number three, we are here to steward or to care for whatever God gave us. Now, 
This is literally what we said. This is what you were created for. Now, again, the skeptical person says, well, like, if this is what I was created for, like, shouldn't these be the easiest things in the world? Like, if this is what I was made for, but even the Christian that's sitting in here today would probably say, if I'm being honest, it's not always easy to have a relationship with God. Would you guys submit to that? It's not always easy. I'm created to be in relationships with people certainly isn't easy. But like a bird was created to fly and they fly. So if these are why I was created, shouldn't they be easy and natural and second nature? What we're going to talk about today is going to show us why it's a little bit difficult. Okay, so once again, you guys ready? Come on, you guys ready? A couple people, let's go. So Genesis chapter two. So God's created humans. That's where we were. Um, and he says, work the land, care for the land. Verse 16, it says, the Lord, if you guys remember, Lord, we said was Yahweh, God's personal name. Yahweh, the creator, I am who I am, God, commanded the man. He said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But, oh, come on, someone say but. But, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For... When you eat from it, you will certainly, you guys know what certainly means? You will certainly die. Okay, so rewind a little bit. If you guys remember, when God creates the world, it's perfect, it is good. He says creation, humans are very good. Everything's amazing. Perfect world. What we learned was that God creates humans not because he needs them. God doesn't need you and I. It wasn't like, you know what, there's like a light bulb, I need you guys to fix it. God creates humans in order to be in relationship with them. So this is really important because it's like, well, okay, why? And this is like, if you've been, if you've been in church at any point in your life, if you've ever been in a youth group, this is like youth group question number one. Why would God create a tree that has the potential to bring in all of this really bad stuff. And so if you're thinking that right now, you're in good company. Pretty much every Christian in the history of the Christianity has ever, has thought that question. Now, what I want us to see, this is important. In this good world that God has created, from the very beginning, God gave humans the option and the license to choose a path that was opposite of him. From the very beginning, before anything, God always gave them the option to not follow him. Now, if you don't know how the story ends, I'm here to apologize for a second because I'm about to give you a massive spoiler alert. Sorry, but I need to tell you this. Um, it doesn't go well. They eat, they eat the fruit. Blank hits the fan, come on somebody. Uh, and we're in the mess that we're in right now. So, you may ask yourself, okay, if God, you know, creates this and, and gives them the option, the potential, like if he knows that this is going to be really bad if they do it, why would God do this? Why would God put this tree here? Now, I cannot tell you that my answer is 100% the truth because scripture isn't explicit. However, as I read scripture and as I, as I unpack where we've been in this series, I'm going to just tell you where my logic takes me. Do you guys want to follow my brain for a moment? So what we learned is this. We learned that God above all desires relationships with us. 
That is why he created humans. Here's what's important. In order for loving relationships to actually be real, choice has to be present. If there is not choice, then there is not the potential for a real relationship to exist. Are you guys following? I would say it like this. Choice is the language of love. Choice is the language of love. And so God so wanted to be in relationship with the humans that he created, but the only way it could be a real relationship, not a robot relationship, was that if the humans had the opportunity to go in a direction that was different than the one that God had laid out. Does that make sense? Now, some of you said, okay, I get the choice, but how come the choice is evil and death? Like, couldn't there have been another way? You want to follow my logic again? Let's keep going. So there are a couple of things that we learn about God as scripture unfolds and reveals to us. And one of the things that we learn about God, as we said, he's a relational God. What we also learn is that God is the sustainer and the creator of life and that he is good. One of the core characteristics of God is that he is good. I'll give us five scriptures right now. Whenever you say good, why don't you shout it out with me? Mark 10 verse 18. No one is but one that is God. First Chronicles 16:34. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is his mercy endures forever. Psalm 25, 8. And upright is the Lord. Nahum 1, 7. The Lord is. Come on, you guys are amazing. This is what a service today. Uh, he's good. And he's a stronghold in the day of trouble. So one of the core characteristics of God is that he is good. So this is important. If God is going to give them a true choice and a true path to not follow him, if he is good, if he is the sustainer of life, there is only one true option if they are not to follow him. Logically speaking, it would be death and evil because he is life and he is good. And so that is actually the only logical option that could be available to them. Does that make sense? I'll say it like this. My wife, she's married to me, but she has the choice any time, any day to leave. It'd be a really bad choice if she did that. But she has the choice. Now, I am not God, meaning I am not the sustainer of life and I am not all good, not even close. So if Christy leaves me, big mistake. What's important to understand is that the alternative isn't evil and death because I'm not the sustainer of life and I'm not all good. However, if God is who he says he is, if he is all good, if he is the sustainer of life, the only option is evil and death. Does that make sense? I'm just trying to unpack this logically for us because I know there's a few skeptical people. And to be honest, that's kind of how my, my mind works as well. I try to just break it down. Like, does this make sense? Um, and again, we're answering that big question, what went wrong? What went wrong? So, <laughs> Again, let's, let's go to the verse, Genesis 2, 17. But God said, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. One last, one last objection I'll hit you guys with. Some people say this. They say, okay, whatever. I get all your logical stuff, but what kind of a God would tempt people with the choice to do evil? Why would he tempt them? Why even tempt them? Let me give you an illustration. Can I see that tumbler for a moment? Imagine, 
I come here and I say, church, kingdom church family, this is poison. When you drink this, if you drink this, you're going to die, your tongue is going to burn off, and it's going to be horrible. I'm going to leave it right here. Don't touch it. Now, if you were to come after service and take a swig, did I tempt you? Now, you can say yes. I would argue that I was extremely clear. I'm not messing around. If you drink this, you're going to die. So, thank you so much. Um, it's the same thing with God. For me, it's not like God's tempting them. God, in fact, because this is important, he says to him, you guys, all, the whole garden, everything in here, it's for you, and it's good. Everything. Just this one thing, avoid. And it's only here because you need the choice. But to me, that's not temptation because I think God is abundantly and explicitly clear. You will die. So, I'm just setting some stuff up. You guys still following? We're going to go to Genesis chapter 3. Now, before we get into it, it's about to get real crazy. And you're about to see a talking snake. And skeptical Sam's going to be on high alert here. It's like, what? what is going on? Now, I'm not here today to convince you that snakes can talk or that this is literal. Forget any of that. I don't really care. It's not my purpose today. What I want you to do as we go through this, I want you to ask this question to yourself. As we go through what we're about to go through that kind of seems wild and crazy, ask yourself one question. Is what is happening in this story true of the human experience? That's all I want to ask. Is what we're about to talk about true of the human experience? Forget anything else. Does what we read describe what I go through? So, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? I love that line. The serpent is more crafty. Now, this traditionally is who we know as the devil, Satan, Lucifer, the big bad, Thanos, whatever you want to call him. Um, it's a Marvel joke. Come on, somebody. Um, now, he says to the woman, uh, can you put it back up for a sec, Jacob? He says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? In other words, Satan says to Eve, to the woman, did God actually say you can't eat any of this food? Now, here's the question. Is this what God said? No. God said you can eat everything. Just don't eat the one thing. But this is important because we're going to learn something about this crafty serpent is that he speaks in lies and half-truths. Jesus later describes Satan in John chapter 8, verse 44. He says, he, speaking of the devil, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, look at this, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So the serpent is a liar. Every time he speaks, he lies. If you've ever heard the voice of the devil, I can tell you this, you've heard lies. Now, I want to contrast the devil, the serpent, with God. 
Because God says pretty simply, don't eat from it. You're going to die. I would say God is being very clear. The devil comes in and says, Did God, bro, <laughs> bro, did God really say you can't eat that? Did God, would God actually say that? Now, here's what I know is true. Whether you believe in talking snakes or not, I know all of us at some point have heard that voice. That voice that says, would, would God actually tell you to do that? Come on, skip ahead a few weeks. Would God really tell you not to have sex until you're married? One partner for life? You think God would really say that? Do you think God really thinks that, that romantic relationships should only be between the opposite gender? Do you, you think God would say that? Do you think God would actually tell you to forgive? Do you think he would say that? You think God would tell you to come to church 10 minutes early for 10 weeks? You think God would say that? You think God wants to get you in a small group after church today? You see, here's what I find. God speaks in clarity. The devil sows confusion. The devil deals in confusion. And what he tries to do in our lives is just muddy the waters. Muddy the waters. And, and some of us, men, you've grown up in church your entire lives. And so there's a whole bunch of stuff that you've heard. And what I want to suggest is that a lot of the issues that we have later on in life can be tied back to this idea that some of the simple and clear things that I learned growing up, I just decided weren't good. I just decided I don't want to follow these things. But God speaks in clarity and the devil deals in confusion. And this principle in a couple of weeks when we really dive back into sex, into relationships, I'm going to really draw this out and I'll probably use this text because so many of us the reason we end up in relational hell is because what God made clear, the devil muddies the water. Now, this is where we're going to let the devil off the hook. We're going to let Lucifer free for a moment. Some of you guys are like this, some of you guys not. All the devil can do is muddy the waters. That's it. One of the core characteristics of God is that God gives humans the freedom and the license not to follow him. So don't think for a moment the devil somehow has more power than God that, he, that you have to do his will. And I had nothing to do with it. So here's the bad news. The devil didn't make you do it. You cheated. You lied. No, it was Satan. You watched that video. You gossiped. Because some of us, like we've been trying to absolve responsibility. Put it on to him. Listen, there's only one person that, come on, that can hold the weight of responsibility. 
And it's not the devil, it's Jesus. That's a whole other, don't get me started. All Satan can do is muddy the waters. So the devil says, ah, did God really say that? Genesis three, verse two, the woman replies. She says, no, we may eat. So she corrects him. No, we can't eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the trees that is in the middle of the garden. Because if you touch it, you're gonna die. So, so far, so good. Because she hears the lie and then she replaces it with truth, right? And so it's like, okay, so far, so good. And some of you guys, we've heard lies, but replace it with the truth. Here's where, here's where we really get in trouble um, is we keep the conversation going. So the serpent, the serpent replies, you're not gonna die. Come on, like skater boy Satan, bro, you're not going to die. For God just knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You're good, bro. Trust me. And if you remember, God said, don't eat from the tree because if you do, you're going to die and you're going to know the difference between good and evil. So Satan right here, he tells a half truth. And what the devil does is he speaks in half-truths. But what we don't realize is that half-truths are full lies. And so seeds of doubt are planted. You're good. So that's all the enemy can do. That's it. Can't make us do anything. Here's the next part. Genesis 3, verse 6. If you got a Bible, paper Bible, get your pen ready. If you got your iPhone Get your thumb ready. I want you to highlight some things. Verse six, and I promise you I'm coming back to this verse in a couple weeks. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye. So I I want you to underline two things in your Bible. Number one, underline good for food. Good for food pleasing to the eye. Underline good for food and pleasing to the eye. When she saw that it was good for food and pleasing to the eye, she took some and she ate it. Now, again, this is where the woman Eve is fully in control of her response. But there are two reasons that ultimately she decides, you know what, I'm going to eat this thing. I know what God said, but I'm going to do it anyways. Number one, the tree looked good for food. She thought to herself simply this, it's food. I can eat it. I can do it. Therefore, it's okay. I'll explain it like this. You guys probably can't tell by looking at me, but I'm not much of an outdoorsman. And so for me, uh, I come under the impression that every single berry I see in the wild is poisonous and will kill me. I know it's not true, but I don't know the difference between the good ones and the bad ones. And so I'm always on high alert when we take our kids outside uh, because our kids, like, they just want to grab all the berries. And so I tell them pretty simply and pretty clearly, don't eat that, you're going to die. It's poison. Whether I know if it's poison or not, I don't know. But I go on the side of caution. Now, one thing that is really difficult for our kids is no matter what I say, no matter how much I tell them that this berry could be poison, 
there is something that is hard for them to register because all they see is edible food. They don't know the contents inside of it. All they know is that when they look at it with their eyes, it looks good to eat. Not knowing that if they were to eat it, they could potentially die. What I would argue is that the vast majority of mistakes and paths that we go down that are not good for us are simply because we do things that look good. Well, I, th- I think I can do it. I-, I-, I go on Twitter sometimes. I think it's now called X. And I go to this page, and I'm not telling you to go there, but it's called Crazy Clips. And what it is, it's people doing crazy things as the name Crazy Clips <laughs> connotates. And one of the things I see more often than not is it's mostly men doing really stupid things. Like jumping off roofs to go into pools or sometimes just jumping from building to building for no particular reason. And as you can imagine, usually something crazy happens and it usually involves pain and my wife usually rebukes me for watching them. But one thing I've realized as I watch these clips, I am fully convinced that the reason that all of these people do really stupid things is because they look at something, whether it's a roof and a pool, and think to themselves simply this, you know what? I think I can do this. Because that is how we as humans are. And here's why it gets really difficult. When something looks good, we think it's good, but it's not always good. And what the enemy wants to do is muddy the waters, the things that God makes abundantly clear. He wants us to question and ultimately enter into a state of confusion. But here's where things get really tricky. Um, The verse says the tree was good for food, and it says it was pleasing. This one's really important. It was pleasing to the eye. So the idea is this. There was something inside of Eve that was emotionally stirred. It looks good. It's pleasing to my eye. One of the things that we've learned is that we are relational beings. And what that means is that we are also emotional beings. We are relational and emotional beings. And so emotion is not a bad thing. Emotion and feelings were given to us by God. But what happens is too many of us let emotions drive the boat. And what happens is this, our emotions are not the greatest barometer for truth. Do you wanna know why? Because my emotions can lie to me. Because it might look pleasing to my eye, it might stir me in such a way, but that doesn't mean that it's good. Here's the best illustration I can think of. And after first service, I don't know how it went. I'm gonna share it again anyways. See how it goes. There's a show on TLC. It's always a great way to start. Um, called Sister Wives. Anyone check out this show? Any big fan of, the, of Cody? <laughs> no. <laughs> but the premise of this show, now this show I think is like 18, 19 years old. So it's super old. Some of you guys, like the show is older than you. And the whole premise of the show was to kind of give a, a, a view um, of a family in Utah that was living um, a polygamous lifestyle. And so that means multiple wives. And I was just thinking about that show because... For the big fans of the show, if anyone still watches, you might know where things are today. But I remember when I was younger, because that's when the show came out, um, there was a lot of buzz in the show. And for a lot of people, they just wanted to see, like, hey, what does it look like to live with four wives? Um, spoiler alert, 
Not great. (laughs) But what I know for certain is that when people watch this show, especially at the very beginning, we being emotional human beings don't necessarily think in a way of right or wrong in terms of strict morals. We more so go based on our feelings. And what we see is all of these humans, at least five, I think, in that relationship, and a whole bunch of kids. And at the very beginning of the show, everything kind of looked okay. Like, okay, he's got a great schedule. He sees her Monday, sees her Tuesday, sees her Wednesday, talks to his kids for 35 seconds. Like, it looks good. And what happens when we see things that look good, and especially when we become emotionally invested, it's really hard to have hard lines of what is right and what is wrong. Because, well, it looks good, and like I, it's, it's, it's working for them. And we're in a cultural moment right now that says, hey, if it's working for them, who are we to say otherwise? Now, one of the beauties of a show that goes on 18 years is we can see the rise and the fall. And if you want to know where sister wives are right now, it's not good. Every single one of his wives have left him. And the thing is this, we watch it as a TV show and reality TV, but behind it are real people. And behind it are like 25 kids that are living in the pain of real relationships ending. But like 18 years ago, it looked really good and it felt good and I think it was fine. And that's how we live our lives. Is everyone following? It was pleasing to the eye and I think I can do it. I think I can. It's 24 hours in a day, like multiply that by four wives and 20, I think I can do it. Most of our problems, I would argue this in our lives, whether we want to admit it or not, come down to a simple principle where what God made clear, I've entered into confusion and muddied the waters and ultimately I did it because I think I could and it felt right. But here's what happens. It says she ate it, pleasing to the eye and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. That's Genesis 6. And and next week you're going to see Adam's got some stuff. But I want us to see what happens in verse 7, and I want you to ask yourself if you've ever been to this place before. Genesis 3, verse 7, it says, The eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord, Yahweh, the relational God, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, if you've been with us in this series, as you read these verses, what you should understand is that we have now entered into a tragedy. Because God made humans simply to be in relationship with them. That's why we're here. But the moment that Adam and Eve decide to go in the opposite direction of God, here's what's interesting. They begin to feel something, and it's an emotion that perhaps they've never felt before. And it's simply this, they begin to feel shame. And here's what I know to be true for every one of us in this room, no matter where you stand in your walk with God. All of us, at some point, have been in the place where we feel shame. 
And what I want to suggest that I think is really weird is that people that don't even believe in God still feel shame. The question I would ask is why? Especially if there is no God. If I'm just up here, I'm a puppet making stuff up. And I could be. Where does shame come from? And why do we feel it? You see, I would argue that shame is one of the greatest proofs for God. Not that God wants us to live in shame. It's quite the opposite. God desires to free us from it. But the presence of it is one of the greatest proofs, I think, for God because it shows us what a life looks like when we are living less than human. And one of the main markers that I'm living less than I was created to live is the presence of shame. And Adam and Eve, the people that were created, humans that were created to be in relationship with God, this is so sad, are now hiding from him. And what I would suggest is that that same human emotion that was true of them is true of all of us. One of the funniest things, and I've said this before, is that I always find it so funny that people that claim not to believe in God don't want to come to church because they think they're going to get burned up. I thought you don't believe in him. But what they are expressing is the feeling of shame. It says, I don't really know if I should be in the presence of a holy God. I'll explain it like this. Um, my wife and I, we got into like a little tiff this last week. Um, we might talk about it next week. I don't know. See where it goes. Um, and, you know, like most things, it's probably mostly my fault. Um, and in, uh, at some point in the art, it was the morning time. Um, she said something to the extent of like, hey, uh, are you going to go and read? Do, do your devotions. Pray. All that good stuff. And I don't know if she's trying to shame me or what. <laughs> go connect with your God. But my answer was pretty simple. No. And the reason it's no is because when I'm not living right in my day-to-day -day relationships, when I have a level of shame in my human interactions, I certainly don't want to go be with God. It's the opposite. I want to be in the farthest corner of the world. And that is what we see in this story. And so the question is this, what went wrong? I would say it like this. Humans had the choice to follow God and they went in the opposite direction. Maybe, maybe it's too simple, but ultimately, why are we here today? Why is there all this stuff around us? It's because we as humans then and still today go the opposite direction of God. Now, here's the question, because some of us, man, like you've been there, you know the shame. Some of us, even today, it's hard to be in this place because you have that feeling. Like, I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I measure up. I want to ask you a question. Those of us in the room, especially if you follow Jesus, I want to ask you a question. When you mess up, when you fall short, when you sin, how do you think God responds? What's the voice that you hear? When you go in the opposite direction, because I know for some of us in this place, the voice that we hear is one of shame. We think of a God in heaven that says, how could you? 
Don't you know better? Didn't you learn this in Sunday school? Come on, what's the voice? For some of us, it's a voice that, that keeps us stuck in a shame cycle. It says, you're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. So you might as well do worse. You might as well just leave. Don't go to church. Don't go back to small group. You're worthless. You're not enough. Some of us, it's, it's still a father figure, but he's arms crossed. He's angry. You can forget about heaven. Come on, what's the picture? Because what I want to suggest is that your picture of God, when we inevitably and eventually fall short, has the power to change everything. Because what we're about to see is that the relational God that created humanity to be in relationship with them, when they go the opposite direction, he doesn't. Look at Genesis chapter nine, or chapter three, verse nine. It says, the Lord God, remember they're hiding. Shame, they have these leaves covering them. But the Lord God called to them and he said, where are you? Where are you? So I wanna to speak to someone today. If you never knew this, I want you to know every single time you have ever fallen short, every single time you have felt like you wanna shrink down in shame, run away, never be seen again, wanna get stuck in this continual cycle, I want you to understand the Father in heaven is not looking at you arms crossed, instead it's arms wide open. And he's saying, where are you? He's saying, son, it's time to come home. He's saying, daughter, you can't live like that anymore. I know, I know you think you're worthless. I know, I know, hey, I know you messed up. I know what I, I know what I said. I know what I said. But where are you? Come home. Come home. And what I love is that if it's not clear, in Genesis chapter three, Jesus comes along in the New Testament, and he makes it abundantly clear. And he tells a story in the Gospel of Luke of a son that runs away from home and that goes and he spends all of his father's money. He goes and he does every bad thing imaginable and he ends up broken, ends up alone. And then he comes home. And when he comes home, who he sees is the father. And the father in this parable is God. And what the father does, as soon as he comes home, I need you to see this because this picture is not just for them, it's for us. As soon as the son comes home, you wanna know what the father does? He runs out to embrace them. And not only that, he lifts up his tunic and he kind of embarrasses himself a little bit. He loses his own honor. Why? Because he's going to see his son. And so I want you to understand there is a God in heaven that is willing to go to the furthest corners of the earth to bring his children home. He's okay to come into our mess. He's okay to come into our brokenness. And so, if you've been in this place and if you felt like, I don't know if there's room at God's table for someone like me. I don't even know if I agree with everything. It's okay. God's heart is still for you. That's just who he is. And the invitation 
is that of a father today. And he says, come home. I'm right here. I'm right here. So let's just stand for a second, church, because I want to speak to someone. Because what went wrong and where we are today, I don't think are as important as where we're going to go and is what God has for us next. So if you're in this place, come on, let's just, let's just close our eyes for a moment. I just want to enter into a, into a space. If you're in this place and you've struggled so hard with that cycle of shame, you struggled so hard to trust that there's a God that loves you, there's a God that pursues you. Man, I want to just, I want to speak into your spirit today. There's a father that is waiting with arms wide open. So if you're in this place, two types of people. Number one, if you've never known this love before, if you've never come into relationship with God, I want to give you the invitation. Second person, you feel like you've fallen short, you've been in church for a long time, but you've never quite felt like you could measure up, you've never felt quite like God wants anything to do with you. If either of those people describe what's going on inside of you, I want to give you the invitation to receive Jesus. So come on, if that's you in this place, could you just show your hand? I would just love to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. So Father, you know all of our hearts. You know all of our struggles, our shortcomings, all the things that have held us back from experiencing you. So God, I just pray today that your spirit would fall fresh. I pray that that cycle of shame would be lifted. I pray, God, that this would be the day we could trust you in full. I thank you that you are changing hearts and lives even here right now in this place. So do what only you can do. Be what only you can be. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Come on, let's put our hands together. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. If you want more information about our church or want to get connected, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We can't wait to get to know you. Till next time, take care.